Welcome to this VJC podcast where you'll be hearing from Adam Glenhill. Adam is a friend who I visited at Leeds Beckett University before. He's in the Clinical Applied Sciences Department and he has terrific experience in psychology and in elite athlete performance. He works with sports therapists and other scientists at Leeds and I'm looking forward to a chat about an overlooked part of return to play, which is the psychological element. Thanks for joining the podcast, Adam. Thank you for having me, Graham. So let's jump straight into a case where you were dealing with a high-level soccer player and there's a challenge for everyone involved. Tell us about the scenario. The the client, we've given the pseudonym Joanna and she has consented for us to discuss some of the details with this case. So she was a, an elite female football player who had a non-contact ACL rupture uh, during the game and she had been through the normal ACL rehabilitation program and she'd been medically cleared to compete and had been playing since she'd been medically cleared. So she'd actually been back competing for about six months. Uh, now an important part of this is that during her return to play decision, uh, there were no psychosocial return to play criteria had been used. And there was about five weeks before uh, quite an important game, she'd, she'd approached me for some help. My role was working as a sport and exercise scientist. And your PhD is in talent development in elite women's football. So you're in this area and you're saying that she didn't have a great experience with a sports psychologist? Historically, when she'd worked with a sports psychologist before, she said she found it quite difficult to engage with. She said at times she felt she felt like she was being asked to develop skills that she already felt quite competent with, and the the, the, the practitioner that had worked with her previously was focusing more on uh, the demands of the sport and her position as opposed to her individual needs as an athlete. And as a result of that, she found she said that she'd found it quite difficult to engage with. The previous interaction was. Was an was an initial barrier uh, that we needed to that we needed to move past, and it's it's not uncommon uh, that in sports at times there are certain stigmas attached to approaching people from a, a psychosocial perspective in terms of player well-being or player or player performance enhancement. Well, listen to how you assess a player in that context. Which tools do you use? And this is clinical rather than research, right? In this particular instance, um, the tools that we used were the emotional response of athletes to injury questionnaire. And how long does that one take, Adam, and what did you get out of it in this case? It only took a, sort of 10 to 15 minutes with this particular client, but some of the key uh, findings for it were related to her, her frustrations about the injury and how she was feeling about the injury, some of her concerns about the, the tension that she was feeling uh, when she was thinking about this particular event, and some of the almost some of the anger that she was starting to feel towards herself as well uh, for in her words for allowing for for allowing her to to get to this stage if you're using it as a, as a questionnaire it allows you it allows the client to give you a, a rating from 0 to 12 depression frustration optimism optimism those types of things and we were able to find out that as I said the the anger uh, the tension the frustration and the the fear of being frightened of the uh, the potential free injury or some of the key considerations. Tell us about the other tools and did you do it all in one session or was it over a period of weeks? Okay, so the whole 
process of working this client, with this client was over the, the course of around five weeks. Use the needs analysis was done in one initial session with uh, a, with a follow up on a, a weekly basis. So the, the other tools that, you, that we used as part of this uh, needs analysis were uh, Glazer's psychological readiness to return to sport questionnaire, which is a collection of questions that are centred on uh, the athlete's confidence in return to play. Now, one of the interesting elements about this was when we looked at this on a, a global scale, so in terms of the injury in general and the sport in general, um, the athlete was, the responses were as you would expect of somebody that's clear to play. But when we asked the questions in the context of this specific event, the responses were actually quite different and they were of a level that if you were using this as a return to play assessment, the athlete wouldn't have been cleared to play. Uh, and similarly, we also used uh, Natalie Walker and co-authors re-injury anxiety inventory. Uh, given the circumstances of this client, we focused, we focused on the use of questions that are associated with competition. Um, and again, in looking at it in general terms, at football as a whole, the responses were of a client that would, would have been cleared to play. However, looking at it again in this in the context of this specific upcoming game that was creating the concerns, the client the responses were of a level where the client wouldn't have been cleared to play. And what happened for this particular athlete? Do you call him Joanna? We're concerns over uh, some of the aspects of the, the fear of re-injury. We had some concerns over uh, confidence, both from a performance perspective and from confidence in, in the injured site. The, some of the examples of uh, things like sleep disturbance were a concern. So the overall aims and priorities with this client were in, in order of priority. First of all, to work on a, a health-related quality of life a little bit. So this, the sleep disturbance was an issue for us. The quality and hygiene of, of sleep has been associated with, with an increased injury risk. So did you give us some pills or some booze to help us sleep? <laughs> no, we, we were... One of the key ways of helping to work on the sleep disturbance side of things was helping her to understand a lot of the things that had been uh, a lot of things that had been done with her since her return to competition that were specifically focused on her ACL injury, preventing any further risk of ACL injury, um, and. Really, really trying to draw her attention towards um, how she was essentially a different athlete from the one that had been from the one that had got injured previously. And what else? When did you find wrong with her? When you from your needs assessment, one was the sleep problem. What else? A number of different considerations. As I said, we there was heightened fear of re-injury that was specific to this particular event that was upcoming. Uh, there was the lack of confidence in the injured site and in potential performance levels. There were also a number of environmental concerns, so she had concerns about a particular type of playing surface, um, and also how she'd quite openly been using avoidance coping. So she was um, kind of putting off thinking about the injury. She was she reported um, actively concentrating on other things than the, than her concerns about her injury. And in doing so, she felt better in the short term, but the things that she quite openly identified, she felt had then just built up and built up and built up. Um, and she would, you know, she would use in statements like, I don't have to play, so I'm not playing because I don't want to play. So she was actually trying to 
actively avoid the particular game as well. Um, so that was something that we needed that we needed to try to work around as well. So uh, if it was appropriate for her moving her from a state of I'm not playing to try to help her progress to actually I'm happy to play and I'm confident in my ability to play moving forwards. And how did you do that? I got her to verbally replay the inciting incident um, because I wanted her to really tell me in as much detail her understanding of how the injury happened, but also because I wanted to try to identify any if there are any particular triggers that were causing some of the things like the fear of re-injury. Um, and then we also used a, a video-aided imagery approach that had uh, integrated affirmations and also some integrated self-talk in there. So I'll talk about each of those in, in turn. So the first one, if we look at the, the benefits of the motivational interviewing approach with decisional balance and also goal setting. Um, the decisional balance was there really to help her to understand the uh, potential losses and the potential gains for both her and for the significant others around her, so her teammates uh, predominantly. Um, and thinking about that in the context of whether she was going to play in the game or not and she started identifying how for her she felt a loss to herself would be if she didn't play in the game she would feel like the injury had beaten her uh, but she saw a potential gain as she didn't need to go through the worry of uh, getting injured again and obviously uh, uh, she she paid as people can tend to do in this instance played a lot, a lot of attention to the people around her and she felt, she felt some perceptions of guilt if she didn't play, would she be letting her teammates down? And motivational interviewing? And the reason that, we, that I particularly want to use motivational interviewing with this client was to really express empathy in terms of understanding her point of view, um, to really help to build her uh, kind of confidence in, in her ability to be able to take part effectively in this game and also really start to understand and explore a little bit more what her, her goals would be moving forwards. So the goal setting part of it was um, the kind of the, the end of one journey in terms of the motivational interview and decision balance, but also the start of a new journey because she had started to demonstrate different types of thoughts and demonstrated a move towards from I'm not playing to actually you know, I might be getting more comfortable with playing. So the goal setting was based on um, her return to play and also based around some of the different techniques that we wanted to use to enhance that return to play experience. So an example of one of the goals that we set linked in, links in with one of the other techniques that we used where uh, we agreed that a goal for Joanna would be she would actively take part in her imagery training uh, three times a day, but for a very short period of time. So the, the imagery training that we used was a video-aided training. So when Joanna spoke to me, some of her key concerns related to her performance were her ability to effectively take part in duels against other opponents, her ability to be able to twist and then win a ball and sprint away in the opposite direction because they were mechanisms that were associated with her original injury. So as part of this imagery training, we aided it with short video clips that were, were put together 
and showed Joanna uh, performing everything that she'd been talking about, uh, that she'd mentioned as being scared about when she was returning to competition. And the video-aided imagery was also then used with a with an imagery script. Now, Joanna had never used imagery training before as an athlete, so we were unsure of any particular preferences she might have, so we looked at imagery in the first person and in the third person we were producing her script. We were looking at the, the first person imagery script. It was very much her, uh, Joanna using statements like, uh, I'm, at the, I'm, at the, I'm at the ground and the game is going well. Uh, we're in control of the game and we, we've started a counter-attack after a midfield regain. Uh, it moved on to accepting some normal parts of the experience. So her talking about, uh, I, I get a little nervous when the ball's coming towards me, but then really using some positive motivational self-talk statements, some, some affirmatory statements in there. The key one being, uh, my knee is strong, I've prepared well, I'm a stronger player now. Uh, and the imagery script ending with a, a specific aspect of her performance that was key with that was key within her role. So from the first person perspective, her talking to us to herself and saying, um, "I blocked their attempt to win the ball. I control the ball and I flick it away. I twist and I power off in a strong, determined sprint. I place a perfectly timed pass to the centre forward." So looking at it very much from a first-person perspective, she's seen it through her own eyes, uh, and it's a, a real-time experience. And the other alternative was a third-person perspective, as though she's seen herself doing that on a video. Now, that was particularly effective for Joanna because the, the combination of the script, the short video clips, and integrating the affirmations with that whole process, she found really enhanced the confidence in, in the injured area as well as her ability to perform certain movements because she she literally could see herself and had created an experience of herself successfully performing everything that she was scared to do. So it sounds like a ton of psychological work, which to me seems like it might be neglected in some cases. We can talk about that later. Um, in Joanna's case, how did you link this with her physical training and working with her physical coaches? We took the decision to produce a very specific uh, confidence-building return-to-play assessment for her, whereby she went through almost a, a fitness test prior to the game, where on an air, the area of the pitch that she had specific concerns about, she performed all of the, sp the sporting movements that she also had specific concerns about. And that was the final tick in the box in terms of her getting to the realisation of, I can do this, I'm at no greater risk of injury than anybody else now, and if anything, I'm actually better prepared because of because I'm aware of everything that I've been through and I understand the process that I've been through. You did make her more confident and you're getting her to think that she was at no greater risk than another player, but we actually know that the re-injury rates after ACL reconstruction are very high. How do you deal with that when we know that she can re-injure her ACL? I think it's in, important to understand that a, a re-injury risk in athletes that have had an ACL rupture and a, a surgical repair is uh, is an aspect of returning to competition. And our, the way that we worked around that as an interdisciplinary team was centred on the athlete education, all of her kind of strength and conditioning work uh, was associated with um, 
ACL re-injury prevention, the, a lot of the, the psychology uh, elements of the work that we did were focused on developing her confidence in, these, in the particular movement patterns that she didn't want to do. And that was all with the aim of reducing and controlling that risk as much as we possibly could do uh, within the, kind of the, the normal confines of, of preparing athletes. We were, we were confident that she was at no, no greater risk than any other athlete that, that has been through the ACL, uh, the ACL injury and reconstruction process. I think that's an important point to make that she's at no greater risk than a player who's returning to sport after ACL reconstruction. But it's a big issue, and osteoarthritis after ACL reconstruction is a big issue. I think there's an onus on all clinicians to share these points with players. So let's say you rehabilitated 10 of these players, Adam. We know two to three off the top of my head would have an ACL re-injury either in the same leg or the other leg um, within a season or two or, or three. That's just the reality. Did you discuss that with her? One of our key aims as a result of this was to help her to understand the injury. And in terms of understanding the injury, it's not only understanding the, the benefits, but it's also understanding the potential risks. And in doing so, um, she felt a, a greater sense of control over the process that she was going through with us. Adam, great to have some specifics from an expert like yourself and a very interesting case. What are the take-home messages? I think we've got three take-home messages here. So a lot of the work that we did with Joanna was focusing on uh, trying to help her to enhance the, the positives of her injury, of her injury experiences. Uh, there's a, a lot of the, the literature focuses at the moment on negative elements. So for her, this the idea of developing an understanding of self, developing an understanding of her injury, exploring different opportunities for kind of sport related related growth and growth and development were quite important um so a take-home message would be focusing on enhancing the enhancing the positives of the injury experiences um are likely to enhance the return to play outcomes for a particular player now another key take-home is as we alluded to before this return to play decision was a, was an interdisciplinary decision. It was one that was made by, you know, kind of sports science staff, the sports therapist, um, and it's a it's important that that return to play decision is is interdisciplinary rather than multidisciplinary. So there's a very clear interaction there, and it's important for moving forwards that we have a, a greater inclusion of of psychological return to play criteria. As part of that, uh, as part of that assessment, on a and becoming more commonplace. Now, one of the, I guess, one of the take-home messages from this particular case is that those psychological or psychosocial return to play criteria may need to be used in a specific context. So, rather than a global element, in this instance, we went to the extent of using those in relation to a specific game at a specific time, but also they may be need to be used post return to competition as well to help to monitor the athlete during and after that transition given that there are there are a number of studies that show that there may be height there may be heightened levels of anxiety and or fear of re-injury during that return to play transition so after being medically cleared after returning to competition there may still be the need to monitor your clients through that transition period thanks adam lots of 
great points there and we'll provide some extra links now you have a nice lecture with this which we can point people to in the blurb that's underneath the podcast on the home page on the, the soundcloud page what about other resources what would you guide people to so one of the one of the resources to look at would be uh, a paper that's just been published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Uh, it was authored by Dale Forsdyke, Andy Smith, Michelle Jones, and myself. Uh, that was looking at psychosocial factors associated with outcomes of sports injury rehabilitation. So it's a systematic review paper, and there are a number of recommendations that are made through that paper from a applied and research perspective. So I would encourage people to to have a look at that. I would also encourage people to look at the different return to play uh, assessments that can be used. So looking at the psychological readiness to return to sport questionnaire, the re-injury anxiety inventory, uh, even the ACL return to sport inventory, uh, as well as if you are working with clients, looking at different ways of monitoring their responses to injuries as well. So the emotional response of athletes to injury questionnaire is one that is um, quite in depth in terms of how it can be used in, with the, the information that can be gleaned. Fascinating. Thanks so much, Adam. You've really opened up a whole area and got me thinking that I've been missing a lot of the issues that are relevant for return to play in general and after ACL specifically. Okay. Thank you very much for, for having me on. Thanks for listening to the BJCM Podcast. And we encourage you to let us know who you'd like to hear as guests on the show. I also want to make you aware that you're encouraged to submit podcasts, record a 10-minute podcast with your guest, and we'll consider putting that on the BJSM podcast list. If you're listening to this before April the 9th, 10th, and 11th of 2016, consider the Return to Play conference in London that is run by Ice Kinetic and called Football Medicine Strategies, where over 100 keynote speakers are delving into all issues including these psychological ones of return to play thanks for listening to this bjsm podcast and have a physically active day